2: Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, Senior Editor at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, with you for another episode of Let's Ride, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning podcast. Thank you for tuning in wherever you're listening, on whatever platform you're listening to. We appreciate it, and as a reminder, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, we want that to be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. We have everything for you. Film room breakdowns, the latest breaking news, commentary, long-form features, you name it. We've got it all there in one spot, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Also, keep in mind that I want to tell you about the platform, the network. The network is not really growing, but it's really thriving. And wherever you listen to your podcast, our podcast network, which is a connection of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, wherever that is, all you have to do is search Steelers or BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and subscribe follow whatever you have to do wherever you listen so if, let's say you are find me on Twitter and you're listening to the show on Twitter on the player that I post after my shows go live you don't know how to find us there you go or maybe or on the on the website behind the curtain.com. you don't know how to find us if you're a Spotify Apple podcast Google Play Stitcher Anchor Pandora doesn't matter you'll find us Subscribe and follow, especially if you're Apple Podcasts and/or Spotify. Give us a five star rating; costs nothing. We appreciate it. Speaking of costs, I want to mention that uh, I heard this on another podcast. I'm not going to take credit for it. I liked it. I said I'm going to steal it. And so, what this specific podcaster would always say is that there is a fee for listening to my show. It is not a financial fee. It is a shareable fee. And what he always talked about is how he wants you to share the show. So whether it's in your Instagram stories, maybe it is on Facebook, maybe it is on Twitter, um, share the show. It really helps out. And if you like the show, share it, spread the love. We appreciate it. All the platforms, especially Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify have shareable features where you can just hit the button. Pick which platform, whether it's a a text message or whether it's on Twitter, and it'll take care of the rest for you. So share it. That's the fee, and it's free. So take that to the bank. All right, let's get things started with some news today. Uh, As we always do, if there's news to talk about, we are going to talk about it. So the Pro Day Tour comes to a close. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I I can't remember. My days get all mixed up. Uh, The the LSU Pro Day was kind of the last... Big pro day on the pro day circuit. There are some other ones still, but this is probably the the last one where you're going to see the brass. The front office, the power brokers that are Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin out on the recruiting trail. And it's kind of bittersweet. Uh, I always am intrigued by when these two gentlemen go out to a pro day just in general. I I find it very interesting. I love to watch them interact with prospective uh, players. But also it's the fact that Kevin Colbert is... This is going to be the last time he does this, and so for a, a lot of people, this is probably very bittersweet. Uh, the, the the scouting department—they are definitely uh, the people that were that man. They work tirelessly, and this is kind of the the, the final stretch run, the the, the the last straightaway of the race. And to see Kevin Colbert, you, know, you want to have a good draft, but it, that's it for him. It's tough to understand because and he's been there forever so but the pro day tour is coming to a close and now what's up next pre-draft visits that's right they're happening again hasn't happened in over two years due to COVID 19 protocols but athletes are getting back and organizations are inviting them in and they are having those official pre-draft visits on thursday You know what happened if you follow BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Desmond Ritter was in Pittsburgh uh, by all reports, and he was the guy that was being interviewed, and they were probably getting a close look at him. Uh, Just so you know about these pre-draft visits in general, each NFL team gets 30. They get 30 pre-draft visits, official pre-draft visits. And there are some players that do not count towards that 30. Uh, So let me give you an example. Kenny Pickett. Okay, Kenny Pickett goes to Pitt. They're literally right next door. That is considered a local visit. So a local visit does not count towards the team's 30 visits. And it depends on what is called the metropolitan area. That is what the NFL, they'll probably kind of give a radius around that facility and say, This is your metropolitan area. Get any player within that area and you will be Fine. So the metropolitan area for Pittsburgh, you know, and there's an athlete from West Virginia University in Morgantown. Even Penn State has been in that metropolitan area before. Those don't count towards the 30. But Desmond Ritter, he was there on Thursday from Cincinnati. Friday, the day that you're listening to this podcast, North Carolina quarterback Sam Howe is supposed to be in the facility. Next week, Nevada quarterback Carson Strong and Ole Miss quarterback Matt Coral are going to be there. Liberty quarterback Malik Willis is supposed to be in the the week after that. So in two weeks' time, it's happening, folks. It is all coming together. That's what you're starting to see here with all this news. The draft is on the horizon. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are, too. So that's enough news. So I want to give you, as I always do on my show, I want to give you a glimpse into my brain and – as to why I talk about the topics that I discuss, maybe it's something I see on Twitter, or maybe it's something that I talk about with family. It doesn't matter. In this case, one of my Rider Die Crew listeners shared with me a YouTube video of Pat Fryermuth being interviewed uh, from this past off season. It's not that long; of, it wasn't an old interview or anything. Was really interested to hear Pat Fryermuth and what he had to say, and it got me thinking about Friermuth in general. And, and this is something I'm going to talk to Michael Beck in the second half of our podcast about when he joins me every Friday, because he wrote an article, Michael Beck did, that ran on uh, Thursday afternoon on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and he talked about Pat Friermuth having to take his game to the next level. And so what I wanted to talk about today, and, and I actually had this title before Michael even wrote his article, is what kind of sophomore jump awaits Pat Fryermuth? and sadly, there's the other alternative to the jump. It's the slump. So we've all seen sophomore slumps. I think we would all say that Chase Claypool kind of experienced that a little bit in year two based on the fact that teams expected him. He did not surprise anyone or anything like that. So what kind of sophomore jump awaits Pat Frymuth? So I I, I looked at this and I thought, how can I approach this? Because I'm trying not to get all Dave Schofield stat geeky, which if you didn't listen to Dave's, I loved his his first question that he answered on the stat geek podcast on Thursday morning, which you have to check that out. If you didn't, it was all about how the Steelers 2021 uh, NFL draft class was historical for a lot of reasons. And it was all based on how much they played. You got to check it out. I don't want to steal his thunder. You got to check it out, but I'm not trying to get too stat geeky here. But what I wanted to do is I went back and I I realized that the Steelers offense is going to need more threats. That's, that's a factual statement. They are going to need more threats and we're all assuming we know that's dangerous, but we're all assuming that the Steelers are going to be drafting a receiver at some point, and maybe even bringing in a free agent veteran, or maybe they draft two receivers, and that's possibility too. However, when you look at the Steelers, you look at the tight end position, not just in Pittsburgh, but in general, I wanted to look at some of the best tight ends that are in the game, or have been in the game in the last few years, and I wanted to see what kind of jump did they make from year one to year two, from their rookie season to their second season. Some of these players took some time to develop. And so I'll talk about that. And then after that, I want to dive into Mitch Trubisky. How does he utilize tight ends? Is he a quarterback that really thrives with tight end usage? We're going to dive into that too. And it's all going to correlate back to what can we expect out of Pat Fryermuth. In his second season as a professional. So let's talk about Pat Friarmy's 2021 season first. He played in 16 games. He had 60 receptions, 497 yards, and 8.3 yards per reception average. And he scored 7 touchdowns. And people forget that he missed a game he had those two concussions, scary concussions. And a lot of people are concerned about his long-term health. I understand that concern. Uh, but at, at this point in time, there's not a guarantee that that's going to continue to happen. So he had a good twenty twenty-one 21 season. So the first player I thought of that I need to check and see, okay, how did this span from their rookie to second year was none other than Heath Miller. Why would I start anywhere else than Heath Miller? So Heath Miller's rookie season, he played in all 16 games. He had 39 receptions for 495 yards and 11.8 yards per reception with six touchdowns. All right. Heath had a very good rookie year. In his second season, 16 games, 34 receptions, so a slight tick down. 393 yards, 11.6 yard average, and a five touchdown. So even though he didn't have the yardage, almost 100 yards less, he still put up about the same numbers of touchdowns and yards per reception. So let's go outside the Steelers organization now. Travis Kelsey. And I put this on our Slack channel. I just wanted to get some ideas. So I said, "Who, who do you think of the best wide receivers out there today? And everyone kind of came together and said, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is the guy. He is the best. So in his his rookie season, he only played in one game. He didn't really register anything. It was his second season where he went off. He played in 16 games, 67 receptions for 862 yards, 12.9-yard reception average, and five touchdowns. So Travis Kelsey had a huge sophomore jump. I went to George Kittle next. George Kittle is another name that was thrown around. In his rookie season, he played in 15 games, 43 catches for 515 yards, 12-yard average and a two and he had two touchdowns not bad for a rookie second season he went off 16 games he had 88 catches 1377 yards 15.6 yard average and five touchdowns he went over a thousand yards in his second season now uh, pat firemeuth has been called baby gronk before and so i went with rob gronkowski next rob gronkowski in his rookie season played in 16 games 42 receptions, 546 yards, a 13.0 average, and 10 touchdowns. Pretty good here, especially double-digit touchdowns, but it was his second season where he obviously went berserk. He had 16 games played, 90 catches, 1,327 yards, 14.7 Yards reception average and 17 touchdowns. That was a career high for him. His second year, 17 touchdowns. So Gronkowski, obviously, in that second year, took a step forward. Let's go to Darren Waller. People don't realize this about Darren Waller. He was a late bloomer. In his rookie year, he was drafted by Baltimore, actually. Six games played. Only two catches for 18 yards, it's obviously a nine-yard average, no touchdowns. Second season, 12 games played, 10 catches, 85 yards, it's obviously an 8.5 average, two touchdowns. It was in year four that he had his breakout year. Actually, it was obviously not with the Baltimore Ravens, with the now Las Vegas Raiders. Darren Waller was a late bloomer, it took him time to develop, it took him a whole other system. Let's go to a Baltimore Raven who is considered one of the the best tight ends in the game. That's Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews, 16 games in his rookie season, 34 catches, 552 yards, 16.2 average, 3 touchdowns. Then you go to the second season. He plays in 15 games, 64 catches, 852 yards, 13.3 average, 10 touchdowns. So when I look at this list, and these are superstar players here, folks, Kelsey, Kittle, Gronkowski, Andrews all took a huge step forward in their second season. Now, I got to be honest, I didn't know a lot about Pat Fryermuth when he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second round last year. I had heard his name, I had written articles, and, and seen that he was, boy, Alfredo Roberts, the tight ends coach, loved him at the pro day at Penn State. That's everyone talked about. He was just. All about Pat Friermuth. Alfredo loved him some Pat Friermuth. And I understand, too, that when you look at whether it's Kelsey, Kittle, Gronkowski, Andrews, it all is going to be kind of scheme-dependent. I can sit here and throw out these numbers to you, and you can listen to him and say, wow, that's awesome. I'm really hoping to see this type of production in year two from Pat Friermuth. But it all comes down to scheme Quarterbacks. So when you think about Travis Kelsey and his, you know, he's going to have Patrick Mahomes throwing him passes. George Kittle, uh, not really. Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he's not the, he's not a world beater. Keep that in mind. Uh, Rob Gronkowski at Tom Brady, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson. So, with all that being said, you have to look at the Steelers' offense with Matt Canada at the helm. Everything you read about a true, genuine Matt Canada offense is, is that it is a tight end friendly offense and that he is a tight end friendly offensive coordinator. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But then you have to look at Mitch Trubisky. And I'm going to make the assumption that Mitch Trubisky is going to win that job. And that even if the Steelers draft a quarterback, he's going to win that job. And so with all of that on the table, I I want to go back and read something here. Because you look at the... I looked up some of the receiving numbers for tight ends in the Trubisky era in Chicago. So, you know, you had Jimmy Graham had 23 catches for 235 yards, 6 touchdowns. Uh, Trey Burton, 59 catches, 593 yards, 6 touchdowns. Cole Komet, 25 receptions, 185 yards, 1 touchdown. It's all relative, but I found this article. All right, this was from uh, Chicago Sports News in 2019. So this was, you know, obviously towards the end of the Trubisky era. And it said, quote, in the past three years, the Bears have gotten at least 40 yards in a game out of a tight end eight times. In those eight games, Trubisky has completed 66.4% of his passes for 2,069 yards, 17 touchdowns, and just four interceptions. Would call it elite production, end quote. Let me read some of that again. So in the three years prior to this article being written, so Trubisky's first three years, that the Chicago Bears, in three years, had only had a tight end get 40 yards in a game eight times. But in those eight games, 66.4% completion percentage, he threw for 2,069 yards and 17 touchdowns and just four interceptions in eight games. That's insane. So if if I'm someone like Matt Canada, I'm seeing some of these numbers. I'm seeing reading some of this stuff, I'm looking at my quarterback that I have now, and I'm thinking, Pat Fryermuth has got to be a big part of our offense in 2022 and beyond. It just makes sense, and Pat Fryermuth even said in that interview that was shared with me that kind of stemmed all of this This podcast was, they asked, how I, what was the biggest change for you in the NFL? He said, obviously, in line, being in line more, and they said, well, how are you, are you going to be ready for that in 2022? Because I don't know what the Steelers are going to want me to do this year to me that screams they're gonna have him flexed out more we're all sitting here screaming where's your slot receiver it might be pat Fryermuth, and that might be a really good thing it might be a really good thing okay a couple random thoughts here before before we go to michael beck i want to get these out of the way hey first and foremost folks beware the hype train in the hype trains plural i've already seen like jeremy fowler has been pumping up the desmond Ritter hype train these things happen intentionally folks they happen intentionally. All it does is it takes an agent talking to someone like a Jeremy Fowler, saying, "Hey, man, like, can you uh, pump up my guy a little bit? We need to try to boost his draft stock." That does happen, folks. It happens. Be wary of the hype trains right here in this home stretch leading up to the draft. I was also. I can't stand that I am agreeing with this guy, Andrew Filipponi of the 93.7 The Fan. He was talking about how everyone always says, just wait till 2023. The quarterback class is so much better. And he does cite the top two quarterbacks. He goes, what do you have after that? You have similar quarterbacks that you have right now. If the Steelers like a quarterback, go get your quarterback. And I kind of am warming up to that idea if that is the way it plays out. So, uh, obviously, I also want to make something very clear. In case you're on Twitter and you, notice, you haven't noticed two people very much, two people that I think should be quiet are being quiet. That's Chase Claypool and Devin Bush. Devin Bush, if you recall, last off season he was posting the most insane stuff, the, 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 the idiotic stuff, idiotic stuff, bringing idiotic attention to himself. Chase Claypool was involved in that skirmish at a bar last off season, just dumb stuff. You haven't seen it this year. That's a good thing. Thumbs up there. This is opening day uh, for a lot of baseball teams. Thursday was the opening day for the Pittsburgh Pirates. No, it's not. For me, it's the Masters weekend, and I'm going to be talking about more and why that means so much to me in the heart-to-heart at the end of the show. So with that, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, Blue Check Checkback will join me. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> All right, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is the second part of our Let's Ride podcast. It is Friday. That means it's blue check back time. Michael, what's going on? How are you?
0: No, not too much, Jeff. I'm doing well. How about yourself?
2: I can't complain. Uh, It's pretty quiet out there. You know, there's not been any signing since last Friday, which we we kind of predicted that. I mean, last time you had had you on the show, you kind of said, I don't expect anything to happen. Um, Yes, Tyron Matthew has met with a couple teams. I think he met virtually with the Eagles as of Thursday. Earlier in the week, he visited the Saints facility, said he'd be open to going back, quote-unquote, home because he's from Louisiana. Um, Are you leaning any way with this Tyron Matthew? I know you're very engaged with it. Are you leaning
0: one way or the other in regards to the Steelers? Uh, Well, it's fun to follow. We'll put it that way. But uh, when it comes to Steelers, uh, it's still hard to tell because it seems like they're still in on it. Um, The Eagles, I don't really know if that makes any sense for uh, Matthews uh, wanting to win right now as well um and really the culture of the eagles isn't like this great history of, of winning if we're being honest aside from super bowl a couple of years ago but then the saints themselves he even said uh i'd love to go home but it seems like they don't really need me so that, that that also seems like yeah i don't really see myself ending up in new orleans at least anytime soon so in that sense it's like okay i think there's still players uh, the eagles also don't have a ton of money but Man, like the Steelers have the opening, they have a defense that is like a piece or two away from being absolutely elite, which Tyron Matthew would absolutely push that, that unit towards that. So in that sense, I I think the Steelers check a lot of boxes and they still need a strong safety. And we've been saying this, this entire time, they're not walking to the draft without someone that's able to actually provide them starting snaps. Right. So uh, until until that's taken care of, I, I don't think they're going to be out on any of the remaining free agents because really there's not many of them
1: left.
2: Now, you might have said this word kind of in jest, but words matter to me. And I'm going to hold you to what you said. You said that if Tyron Matthew joins the Steelers, he would be, quote unquote, elite. That The Steelers defense would become elite. What if they sign Terrell Edmonds? Would the defense be elite or what word would you use to describe them there?
0: I'd love to hear. Yeah, you know, it'd still be status quo to a degree. Um, obviously, the biggest factors here is Tyson Aloua's health and Stephon it. What they do is going to determine a lot of the rest of this team. The fact the Steelers never signed a defensive lineman uh, outside of the organization tells me that they're coming back. Because, boy, oh, boy, if they're not, <laughs> the Steelers waited way too long. But um, so in that sense, if Terrell Edmonds is back, like, I still would call them very good. Um, like the difference between uh, having a, a solid middle caliber starting safety, which I think is exactly what Terrell Edmonds is—someone that's uh, a little too good to give no money to, and not good enough to give decent money to—if that makes any sense. Uh, just the middle class of safety or middle cl- class of players, just hard to, to give a contract these days. But going from a guy that's uh, like around your, I don't know, twentieth to twelfth best starter at the position in the league versus. A guy that was your first team All Pro just what two seasons ago, and had to ask to do different things a season ago. Those are two different things, and really adding another All Pro caliber player to, to your back end that just takes your 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 team to another level. So, like, it, it, would it be elite with Trell Edmonds? Potentially, some other guys would have to step up, but uh, having that all pro guy and Tyron Matthew. Yeah. That, that is, that, that's the difference maker. That's taking yourself up that next round.
2: It will be interesting to see how things shake out. Now, I want to talk to you about something. I honestly did not know you were writing an article on Thursday about Pat Fryermuth and him needing to kind of take that next step in his, uh, you know, both his production and both as a developmental player and in a lot of different ways. And I actually had had planned to talk a lot about Pat Fryermuth in the first half. I did, uh, what are your, what's your gut tell you? You know, we sat here probably a year ago, maybe not on this show. Cause I don't think I had you on the show every Friday back in a year ago. This time, but we probably sat here a year ago, uh, and said, Chase Claypool is going to blow it up in year two. And yeah. he didn't, he did not have the sophomore jump. I would say that we, you'd probably agree he had a sophomore slump more than anything. Yeah. What about Pat Friermuth makes you think that's not going to happen with him. It's, it's going to be different. What makes you think that?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, don't, don't put those evil thoughts in my mind about him not being good. But uh, I, I think the difference of Pat Friar with here, ju- just the kind of position he plays and the way he plays it, uh, like Chase Claypool's very reliant on the deep ball um, coming down with those 50, 50 passes. And really, he, he didn't do that in year two, at least with the frequency he did it in year one, uh, no doubt. With Pat Farmuth, he's the, the, the guy that you can check down with the football. He's a guy that uh, can help out in your running game and, and lay some heavy blocks. He's a guy that can come up with a spectacular catch now then. He's just a well rounded player. So the difference is like Chase Claypool is not going to be your possession guy. He's not going to be just your speed burner. He's not going like, to like, he has a very specific role. I, whereas I think Pat Farmuth can do a lot of things well. And even if he isn't a slump in one facet, something else could pick up for him. So I I think just the way he plays the game allows him to not kind of fall into those kind of uh, disappearances that we saw to chase Claypool, especially when he struggled with what he was good at. Just the way Fryer plays the tight end position, uh, the matchups he's going to get, I I think he's always going to be progressing forward until age uh, starts to do him in, but still year two for him.
2: Do you think, Pat Fryermuth might be an answer for the Steelers in the slot. Do you think they're going to ask him to do more of a receiving type tight end and less of an inline tight end in the mad Canada system? Is that where you kind of foresee his second year going?
0: Uh, At this rate? Yes. Because again, I know I've mentioned this a number of times. They they have two receivers, two true NFL receivers guys that actually played last year on this roster. Um, Right now we're we're also, we're probably going to look at rookies filling out the rest of the, that position group. So I know the Steelers just don't like relying on rookies to have to take big minutes, big snaps, uh, big targets. So in that sense, I, I think fire me does play more in the slot than he did last year. Uh, a little bit less hand in the ground stuff, which he still wasn't bad at. Uh, but honestly, that makes me wonder if we see more Zach Gentry or if uh, the Steelers add more tight ends um, you know, just in that sense. So they can actually allow for to kind of get off the line because We know that Matt Canada liked having those motion guys, those bigger bodies adding instead of extra linemen, extra tight ends uh, to be able to help block uh, and motion and pull and do all these great things. And for in the slot. That's taken away from it. So in that sense, maybe the Steelers are looking at their tight ends a little more heavily to uh, to eat up some of these snaps. But uh, I I guess until they add more receivers. Yeah, I'm absolutely expecting him to play way more in the slot
2: do the concussions scare you at all with fire having two in one season?
0: Obviously it's not great. Um, Thankfully they both were pretty minor. If I'm not mistaken here, where he didn't miss all that much time. He only missed
2: one game with the second
0: one, but he didn't miss one with the first. I don't believe. Right. Right. Yeah. So like sometimes it's just bad luck. Um, Obviously concussions is such a hard animal to kind of, to, to even fathom what is going on within a player, but The way he ended the season came back from both of them, it it seems like neither was major. I think once you start stepping to major concussions, that's when things start to go off the rails. Uh, For Friar sake, it seemed like both were fairly minor uh, and uh, able to uh, just work through and get back to 100% L. So fingers crossed it's not an issue, but uh, you can never say never uh, with an injury to the brain like that.
2: No, you're right. Now, I think about, you know, when you look up like an NFL draft prospect profile or something like that, there's a million sites to do those. A lot of the sites have a comp, you know, a player comparison. And so for the fans that don't know much about the college game, when they see the bottom of the article or the, they want to see, okay, this guy could turn into this. So, for instance, Dan Orlovsky of ESPN compared Desmond Ritter to Alex Smith. Some might love that. Some might hate it. That's neither here nor there. When you look at Pat Friermuth and his overall potential and the way that he plays the game, the style that he plays the game, mm-hmm. is there is there a player that you see that you say this would be his comp? This would be his mm-hmm. player comparison. Is there one? Because I went through the list of some of the great current tight ends in the game early in the first half and talked about their jumps from year one to year two. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Rob Gronkowski, even Darren Waller, although Waller was a late bloomer. Uh, and it was Mark, like year he, four or five. <laughs> it was year four, yeah, and he was actually with the Ravens for year years one and two. Didn't even know that. Um, Mark Andrews was another. Is there a comparison that you think of, or is he kind of his own beast?
0: It's really tough with Fryermuth because he's not like the uber-athletic tight end that's uh, like the guy that's Jimmy Graham rebounding uh, passes out of the air. And, and he's not the hand in the dirt guy, which like we see like the top 10 ends a few years, like Rob Gronkowski, uh, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, those guys have like a, an ability to drive defensive linemen down the field. We've seen that from them. I, I don't know if Pat Farmi's is ever going to be that uh, Darren Waller. Maybe I, I don't think he's quite as athletic as Waller. So I- I- in a sense, it's kind of hard to come up with, with a, a good comp to fire in a way he kind of is his own beast um i, I think he's more of a athletically cl- inclined tight end that still has some uh, blocking ability um uh, there really isn't too much uh, i'd say in recent history um uh, of guys that are like that that really take their game to the next level but i i foresee pat firemeath becoming like a top 10 tight end in this game uh, i really do see that numbers wise uh, and just his ability overall, I, I can definitely see him taking the step. So I don't know if there is that perfect name out there for him, uh, but uh, I, I definitely think he's someone that can write uh, his own ship. I like that. And,
2: and there, there is the answer of, and some people might say, well, you just kind of skirted that answer. No, there is the answer of, you know, you can't really have that clear cut comparison, especially at the tight end position with that dual responsibility of blocking pass catching athleticism. Let's talk about the NFL draft. I, i, I The hype trains are kicking up, and I said this in my random thoughts in the first half of the show. You see it every year, Michael, these players that were maybe deemed to be fringe first-round players, second-round players, all of a sudden, they start to get more publicity. People start talking about them more. I honestly believe that's agent-driven. You know, They're talking with buddies at ESPN. There might be some financial negotiations going on here. I wouldn't put it past any agent to do something like that. Um, what what are your thoughts on the the late? Because this happens, it's always at this time. We're a couple weeks away. Pro days are basically done. Pre-draft visits are getting on. They're just kicking up. Do you buy into any of that hype? Or is that something where you're like, I, I need to stay away because I know that that's kind of just, they're blowing smoke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I definitely try to stay away from that because this time of year, football isn't being played. It, it, it's when they're on the field that you really know what you're going to get from these players. Like to a degree, I don't really care about the 40 or how many reps someone can do at 225 or how far they broad jump. It's more like check the box, you know, like it, if this guy doesn't show up and can barely run, like I, I'm not going to care. Like the difference between four, three and four, five really isn't that much, especially when you have gear on running routes, you are not just running a straight line, which any defensive back isn't just going to let you do. So in that sense, I don't care about the numbers that much. So this time of the year for guys just shooting up the board, it, it doesn't make much sense unless teams just started watching film on some, I don't know, Division two or Division three player that came out of nowhere that they weren't really paying attention to all year that got invited to the Senior Bowl and dominated. And like, oh, okay, this is a guy. And then they start watching the tape. It's like, oh, wait, this guy is actually really good. And we overlooked him. So, in that sense, sure, I could see that. But those aren't the names that are shooting up right now. Uh, it, it is kind of funny because Desmond Ritter's been one of the names that uh, I would say a year ago was one of the quarterbacks I kind of had my eye on for this year's draft because of his nature, like his size, athleticism, playing in the AFC North environment, playing for a smaller school without the great weapons and leading them to success. And he obviously, the Bearcats made it to the playoff last year, first non power five school to do that. So he checked all the boxes, and t- to me, I thought the perfect draft a year ago for the Steelers this year would be like Linderbaum in the first and Desmond Ritter in the second. Now it almost feels like it'd be the other way around uh, for guys, the, the way the trends are, are going, but I still don't think I'd go one R- Ritter over Linderbaum uh, in, uh, in draft rankings, but it is pretty interesting to see how these guys move up and down the boards this time of the year when it really shouldn't be. That much fluctuation, unless I guess people are bombing interviews, I suppose. But aside from that, it is uh, it's interesting, but I'd stay away.
2: Well, I think it's a lot of PR, you know. Like I said, I this is the agents that are trying to pump up their clients. Ritter, I was going to bring him up, he is the name that you've been seeing. Jeremy Fowler on ESPN, you got Dan Orlovsky pumping up, pumping him up. The comments he's making about. It doesn't matter if he goes somewhere with a veteran; he's going to beat him out. I mean, hey, I love confidence. I, I think that that's the attitude every rookie should have when they get in in there. But he is a player, and I think—correct me if I'm wrong, Michael—I think after last year's draft, once the under un—you know—undrafted free agents were signed, you, I think it was you, wrote an article. It was like a way too early. 2022 mock draft. And I'm pretty sure you had the Steelers taking Ritter. Am I right? Or am I thinking of someone else? No,
0: you are 100% right. I I did have them picking Desmond Ritter a year ago. And so there you go. You, what, if you were actually right, (laughs) that is
2: incredible. (laughs) I mean, now I'm not giving, I'm not giving you credit because no one has that kind of forethought. But the, the thing is though, is that at one year's time, you thought that this would be a great first round pick for the Steelers and the guy does nothing wrong in the season except take his team like you said a non power 5 school to the uh, the college playoff and almost had a chance to beat it was alabama right or no yeah Georgia. they played
0: alabama it was i think 35 21 like like it was still a tight game yeah. for the the levels of the schools
2: so what what changed is it other team needs or what what in your mind changed that you thought a year ago this guy would be the perfect pick he could very much be available at 20. And now all of a sudden you're thinking, I don't want him at 20. I'd rather have him in the fifties when they pick the
0: second time or whatever the second round pick is. Yeah. Like, I think that the difference within the year now is just seeing the needs of the team, what they desperately need right now. Like if it did end up being Ritter, I think I'd be, I'd be more excited about that than a few of the names on the list because he still is young and he still has that AFC North size and experience in that, in that, atmosphere in cincinnati playing outside which i think is a big factor um but i think within this year he's kind of just slipped down a lot of draft boards and to me it kind of makes it a little more hesitant seeing like the true experts that dissect every play being like yeah maybe this guy isn't a first rounder but he still is a talent so i i always take that into uh, my own account when i try to rank these prospects to a degree i'm not surprised with him coming back up on the list because again. He took a school that should not be anywhere near the playoff and led them to within a couple points of the national championship game. Uh, And the quarterback should get a lot of praise for that. Yeah, they got a couple great DBs, a decent receiver, and who knows if that receiver is going to end up being anything because maybe Ritter made him look good. But in that sense, yeah, no, I I totally understand why he is uh, shooting up the boards now, but uh, you would have thought maybe that uh, might have spiked uh, around the time they were making the playoff but um, I guess we'll have to sit back and see where he ends up going uh, in a couple weeks here.
2: It's going to be interesting the hype train is going to roll on I'm sure we'll be talking about another player that's being hyped up next Friday but Michael before I let you go as always you can say something to to the ride or die crew what do you got?
0: Yeah, this is uh, the interesting time uh, between the draft and the first wave of free agency. Like, we'll probably hit a, a minor jump before the draft here, but before the true second wave of free agency hits, uh, basically when that draft is over. But this lull, uh, you're going to start seeing rumors galore. Um, obviously, we're seeing a lot of quarterbacks being mocked to the Steelers these days, and of course, all that, all those visits from quarterbacks coming in. So, uh, don't get, uh, don't get to too surprised if the Steelers end up going QB in the first round because once again they are pouring their assets into knowing everything about these guys so uh, if they are if the first quarterback or first team to take a quarterback I'm guessing they took the one that they f- truly believed was the top of the board because no I don't think any team is putting any more effort into them so uh, it, it's just gonna be a fun couple weeks here as the Steelers go through their scouting process
2: Now, I do want to give you a quick chance to plug what's coming up for you because you're expanding your repertoire a little bit with the podcast platform. You're still going to have the live mic every Tuesday at noon, but you're starting a new show. Now, I don't even know if you have a name yet for this show, but what's the premise of this new podcast that's going to be debuting probably sometime next week? Right, so
0: th- this new show is going to be—it's uh, going to be a floating show, no exact day of the week that it will firmly be placed on in any given week. But it's going to be a-, a purely interview-based show, um, hoping to bring on former Steelers coaches, uh, experts uh, in-, in their own field, that just helping uh, break down this team, break down uh, games, or just talk about stories uh, from their career or, or their past. Or their relationship with the team, so um, I'm looking forward to this getting going. And as you said, still working on a name. Uh, we will figure that out uh, as we get there. But uh, yeah, no, it is it is exciting. I, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very much looking forward to this project getting underway.
2: Absolutely, and he's leaving the curtain call, but still, he did a great job there. And he's going to do a great job with that, Michael. Thank you for your time, as always. Have a good one.
0: My pleasure. You too, Jeff. All right, take it easy.
2: A big thank you to Michael Beck as always for taking the time to be a part of the show. I really do appreciate him and his efforts because sometimes him being on the West Coast, me being on the East Coast, it's not always easy to sync up times, but I do appreciate Michael for all he does, uh, and I I look forward to talking to him many, many, many times after this. But still, let's get to a heart-to-heart as we always finish it out every Friday. So I mentioned at the very end of the first segment of the podcast that the this is the Masters weekend. It's not opening opening day, opening weekend, whatever you want to call it in your specific town that you live in. This is Masters Weekend. Now, I I come from a golf family. You all know this. You've listened to me answer questions about golf before. Um, I'll tweet about golf from time to time on Twitter. Uh, But this weekend means so much more to me than just a golf tournament. Uh, I've spoken about my friend, his name was Chris, uh, who passed away from ALS coming on seven years now. And uh, it was the Masters Tournament that kind of forged our friendship. And it also was the last time I ever saw him. Uh, so I remember when he and his then wife were getting divorced. This was well before he was diagnosed with ALS or anything like that. And I called him up one day and I said, hey, you know, my wife and I, we, we were young, a yeah, lot younger. Uh, we had only had one child at the time. We said we were going to go for a hike. Would you want to join us? He said, sure. And so he joined us. And afterwards, I said, hey, you know, if you want to come over, I'm just going to be watching the Masters. We're going to order a pizza and, and just sit around and watch it. And he goes, yeah, sure. Well, what started was a tradition. And uh, every year, we watched the Masters together, at least a round, at least one round we watched together. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one of the rounds. I sat there, we watched with Chris, and it was a good time. It was always a good time. And I remember at the very end of his life, uh, I didn't know it was actually the end of his life. Well, we left and we watched. It was the third round of the Masters uh, on Saturday. It was a great day of of golf, and I remember I said to him, "All right, man, I'm gonna head out of here. Are you good?" And I said, "Do you need anything?" And he said, "No, man, I'm good." And I said, "All right, I'll see you later. Ta- ta- I'll talk to you later." And he said, "All right, man, I'll see you." And we got a an email. I guess it was a day or two later that uh, he had passed, and so. The Masters has already meant a lot to me because I'm a golfer and my family are are nothing very diehard golfers, but this weekend means a lot to me because I always think of my friend Chris, and I always think about the good times we had watching this tournament. Uh, It is bittersweet, uh, but I always talk about how, you know, I talked about this around the holidays last year. I'll bring it up again. I'll say, you know, if you don't have a tradition, make a tradition, and this is a perfect example of I made a tradition. Uh, it, it just started. It wasn't anything spectacular. We didn't have to have a big party. It was just, he came over and we watched the the tournament together. So I think about my friend this weekend and I'll be thinking about him this weekend as the masters concludes on Sunday. I hope that you all have a great weekend as well. I hate to end it on such a downer note, but it was just something I wanted to share as I always do on my Friday heart to hearts. So, all right, folks, you know how we finish it out here. I appreciate you and all the ride or die crew. Be safe, be kind, and God bless. I will see you on Monday. A very special segment coming up on Monday, so stay tuned for that. As well. Jeez. Go Steelers. Have a great weekend. My
1: candles burning
0: bright. I sleep for three to four hours every night. coffee burning.